Welcome to the smartest Amazon seller in the room. Today, we've got a lot of great subjects to cover. By great subjects, I mean just one in general, but um, it's about repricing. But I want to say that like, I'm not going to talk about the A, B, and Cs of selling on Amazon. There are a lot of great resources out there that I can happily point you to. Um, Amazon Sellers University is you know, Amazon hosted and it's just their way of telling you, you know, how you sell on Amazon. We're going to talk about the D, E, and Fs and, you know, so some more advanced ideas around selling on Amazon and some tactics that can help you tomorrow make more money. Um, I, I mean, it's not all about money. You know, sometimes we're going for inner growth as well, but um, money helps validate those feelings, right? Okay, so repricing is a very big subject. There are, you know, a dozen companies that can that can advise you and help you out uh, to, to figure out what... Uh, repricing strategies you can do. I have spent years uh, building around this, you know, repricing our products. I control everything from, you know, our discounting schedules to when we try and go a little bit more aggressive or price higher or lower. Like there's lots of rules that our products follow through in order to be priced at what's going to make us the most money. And um, and I actually think it's the biggest, even now I'm still learning. This is seven years in and like we are still making fundamental changes to our repricer to always uh, get better. This is where I think true uh, computer science knowledge can really help. There's a lot of these uh, repricers that talk about algorithmic repricing or uh, machine learning in learning the Amazon marketplace. And there's so many different components that you got to understand before you even try. I have actually built a repricer. I ultimately chose not to use mine because I don't want... It's, it's kind of hard to build a very dependable product that's like available 100% of the time. And I just keep getting distracted by other ideas. And so I, I understand all the, um, the constraints of like the data, what Amazon does tell you and what they don't tell you and how um, a lot of these repricers are, are built. I've used five different ones and I've done A-B tests to figure out which situations are best for us. And I'll give you a few guideline principles that you can use to, you know, make judgments and maybe some even some ideas, but I, it doesn't really matter if they're, you know, if one repricer is better than the other, they all um, can accomplish, you know, a lot of interesting things. Um, last year... The year 2018, we averaged about 14.5% GM. Uh, sorry, 14.5% gross margin. That is not super high, but like that's the nature of the business. Sometimes there's a lot of competitors that will drive your price down. Now, I'd say our our tried and true products are probably getting us about 20% gross margin, but there's so much that we have to discount, or there's a lot of competitors on our wholesale side of the business that that drove that down. Well, about last September, we had our come to Jesus moment about our profitability. And we figured that, you know, we really had to revisit every aspect of our business. And, and one of them that 
we knew was going to have the biggest impact on the bottom line was our pricing. And so we iterated on a few things and starting on uh, February 20, February 19th, I think we made a change and it popped our GM up to 19%. That's a huge difference, you know, from 14% to 19% on, uh, you know, north of $60 million in sales. It's just monster to to make that kind of change. We've even flirted with 20% GM a few days. Um, some of those private label people out there might really scoff at that and be like, oh, I'm at like a 30, 40% margin. And you, you're right. But um, we the thing is, is every type of selling model has different problems. There's some problems that you have that the wholesale like just doesn't you know, doesn't really phase them. So, you know, understand different business models have different challenges of uh, what what they worry about. And myself, I really try and understand both of them and become an expert on both of them. We uh, represent about a third of our business is private label, you know, products that we are investing in and believe in their future and really want uh, them to succeed. Um, and then, you know, two thirds of our business where we are a unique uh, seller out there is our wholesale. We are the uh, the largest by catalog size in the Amazon Prime program. I do, I'm pretty darn certain that that is true. I would love for someone to point me out to someone that's doing a little bit better, but I know the top 50 sellers on Amazon. We are usually fluctuating, you know, between like six or seven to like 20. So we're always in the top 20 uh, based off of a feedback score. And I know all of the top 50 and, and you know, they, some of them top out about 30,000 products. We have um, had at one point 110,000 products. Right now, I think we're at 80,000 products in Amazon Prime. And this means that like our inventory is in uh, Amazon Fulfillment Center you know, it's FBA ready right now. And that's really been possible just because of our software. So I'm going to go into repricing. We I've used informed.co. I've used seller active. I've used Feedvisor. Shoot. I was in uh, Las Vegas and Feedvisor. They took me out to one of the nicest meals of my entire life. And it was successful for them because we gave them a real trial. And, um, they, they have, all of these have a really good uh, programs that I know are uh, successful. I've seen what they do. We use the cheapest one out there. It's called Channel Max. It's a uh, very. Um, it's got a lot of flexibility, but the UI isn't uh, the nicest. Actually, let me go back and say it's the worst UI of them all. But maybe that's just because uh, they spend more <laughs> effort on their tech and our reliability that we have a situation with them where we're really happy with uh, the speed and uh, how reactive they are to our systems. You know, we, we talk very nicely with them and they can do a lot of things that are uh, very custom. You don't even have to use any of these uh, to get uh, some value out of the ideas here, but uh, just you know, for a lot of people, you know, using one is a difference maker, or having a pricing strategy can uh, is really at the end of the day just can like bring in extra uh, money. So when we think of dynamic repricing, you know, you're thinking of of pricing 
based off of the marketplace, every you know five minutes, or you theoretically you can do about every two minutes. Um, Amazon, <laughs> they reprice every minute. Of course, they can do something that no one else can. I believe the repricing feeds would throttle you if you did it more than every two minutes. But you obviously want a fast turnaround so you can uh, share the buy box as much as possible. Uh, I'll just go real quickly into the buy box is, you know, that algorithm that determines who gets that sale. You know, winning the buy box means that, you know, when someone clicks buy it now on Amazon, they, you get that sell. I, uh, my favorite shirt that I've ever gotten at an Amazon conference by a metric mile or even a imperial mile is it said, uh, right on the, on the shirt, it said, uh, damn right I own the buy box. And that just speaks to my inner uh, nerd and ego of how I feel about the buy box. Like, I own it. No one can beat me at getting it. That's not true. Many people beat us, but um, it's specifically Amazon retail. They, they know how to uh, really hurt us where it matters when it comes to the buy box. Maybe I'll go into that. Uh, so here's some ideas that I think you should uh, be considering. This, some of these are very tailored to wholesale, but even private label, you know, you could consider some of these. So we like to price up at night. You know, that's when there's no volume. And we, you know, we're trying to like communicate with the other repricers out there and kind of like reset the new price. Say like product is like, you know, during the day, you know, people just keep pricing down and beating each other. You know, our product that's normally $9.99 goes down to like, you know, $7.50. That happens. It's amazing what, you know, when um, two algorithms are in a pricing war, what ha can happen. Well, at the very least, you should be like trying to price up. And the best time to do that is in the middle of the night, you know, 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. There's not a lot of shoppers, but the, the, the robots are still going. And so if you keep pricing up, 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 and up, you're really not losing any sales. You know, let's see, maybe 1% of sales happen at that time. And you have a chance of, you know, encouraging the other robots to price up, you know, back up to $9.99. And so you have a higher chance of getting, um, that kind of benefits everyone. It almost sounds a little bit like price fixing um, in the benefit, uh, sorry, in the uh, coll the collusion of if we were all were to do it and say like, hey, let's price up together. But we're not like saying specific prices and, and we're really just telling our robots like relative numbers. So I don't think you can compare it to price fixing. But um, at night, there's just a chance to like have the robots uh, go up a few dollars. It's amazing that we, I've sold millions of products at break even. I've sold probably a few million products below. You know, we've lost money. And so I know how to churn and not make any money. And so the best thing we can all do is just is know when to grab that extra dollar or two. I'll go on with another idea that was probably way more influential than I realized when we did this. We, when we sell products and start, um, say something just hits the warehouse, we submit prices higher, uh, about, um, uh, higher than we normally would. We just, just do it and see if it sticks, you know, see if it gets sales. So, um, there's this concept of the floor price. The floor is your break even point. You know, usually it's, um, uh, the, the wholesale cost of your product plus the uh, FBA fee and you know then you and then you add the commission fee as well and maybe you could even add a few bit of your shipping and, and prep costs uh, to to 
to generate what is your break-even cost. We call that the floor. And you know, a lot of repricers call that the floor. It's kind of an industry standard. And so we just float well above our floor when a product first hits the warehouse. If it was out of stock, we come back in. And if it's getting sales, we just like float it no matter what, without any questions, 15%, 20%, 30% higher. And then if it doesn't get traction, we slowly decay that down to potentially our floor. And our repricers bouncing between the floor and the ceiling, ceiling being the highest price. And you have a chance to uh, just make a lot more margin by, by artificially inflating the price, even for a few days. This will make a difference of a percentage or two or three or four or whatever. Because you don't know what people are willing to pay. You don't even know what the marketplace is is, is at for your product or, or a competing product. And so you might as well uh, give it a few days to to settle. And if it's selling well, then just stay there. If it's not, then then, then don't. You know, you could do this in private label as well with... Um, uh, let's see some elasticity uh, tests where you're like, okay, on this day, I'm going to price it here. And like, I'm going to go up and see how that affects your sales. I like to think about things in price bands. You know, as a consumer, to me, an $11.99 product is literally the same price as a $12.99 product. They are the same price. I never make one judgment between $11.99 and $12.99. The only reason I would decide uh, to price it differently is if there was a competing product that was at $11.99. But say you, um, when someone's landed on your product and they're just evaluating you, I would say crossing a threshold over $14.99 or over $19.99, you know, into the $20, that's when like different decisions get made. A big one is actually over $29.99. I think we're all accustomed to $25 purchases and just like, that's just like a standard for a product that, you know, solves a problem. So sometimes um, on private label, you could think in these price bands and like do some elasticity around uh, different prices because you should find as many reasons as possible to price up. That's just going to be like, where's the free money on the table for you? And another reason to go up is this value perception. Even if you have a cheap competitor, well, everyone's going to think that's a cheap Chinese knockoff type of product. If you're able to maintain, you know, good images and good reviews, you can price double everyone else and everyone's like, oh, this is a quality product. I think this is, your, your value, your price is also saying, this is going to last you. You can buy three of this cheap thing or you could just buy this one and your problem solved forever. So I have talked with multiple people that have raised their price and, and saw that not only did sales stay the same, but sometimes they just grew. And then, you know, seasonal products, price just doesn't matter. It's nuts how uh, people's behavior changes on seasonal products where you can charge double the price and people just pay it because if it solves what they want in the time frame that they need, they, they, they will pay quite a bit. Um, let's see. Let me get back to uh, just some of the other pricing. And this is, sorry for uh, being a little scatterbrained, but there's just a lot of ideas that can affect, you know, different products uh, and different pr uh, models for selling at any given time. So we like to price up at night and we actually find two or three times during the day to also price up because, you know, you don't want those like cycles of uh, pricing down to go on forever. And um, then we also... Uh, let's see, float the high price. Oh, I love this one. Um, when a product is going to run out of inventory and you just know, 
you're like, we haven't made an order. The order hasn't gone through. It hasn't been shipped. We go out kicking and screaming. If you have less than 10 days of cover, five days of cover, you know, you should not be leaving that product at the same price. Use the market forces to keep that product in stock as long as possible. You know, you're at $9.99 and you've got like five days before you run out of inventory or even like two days. Sometimes there's these runs on a product where a competitor runs out or just different situations that create uh, higher sales through. You should be raising your price to match that so that you can you know, achieve sales at a more even pace that allows you to restock. And in the meantime, you know, you can make a lot of money. I think, uh, let's see, you know, one of our top products is the, is a friendship bracelet. And during Christmas, it just goes bananas. Like it does not matter the price. It still sells, you know, 50 to 100 a day. And so we're able to raise the price, you know, one, two, five, ten dollars, and it still continues to sell. And my, I just keep telling people like, go out kicking and screaming. If you're selling out, raise the price and make the the, the easiest money you're ever going to make. Okay, the last thing I was going to say about kicking and screaming is that if you have the technical ability to do this, you can keep it a very dynamic thing. You know, you could raise the price a few dollars, see if that affects sales per day, go up at all, uh, see if it affects your sales velocity. And if it does, you can go back down a dollar or if it's still selling, you can, you can continue to go up. We have it every 12 hours, it's, it's reevaluating how was the last 12 hours um, affecting sales. And if it stops selling, it goes back down to that price. If it continues to sell, you know, we don't want to run out of this product. That's another motivator. We don't want to run out. We don't want to be like no inventory available. And so we just keep pricing up to make sure that we don't run out, but we also make the easiest money that we're ever going to make. So these are, um, you know, I think if you apply just one of these tomorrow, it can affect your bottom line. And, you know, Amazon is a, it's a, it's a battlefield. It's, it's war. You know, these selling tactics are, uh, are really important to squeeze out that extra percent or two. And at the end of the year, it's going to make a uh, a pretty big difference. And so just I'll just leave you with that little nugget of uh, repricing viewpoints. And uh, and I, I hope you guys are enjoying the show. If you ever have any questions and uh, if you, uh, you can always reach out to me. Um, my Instagram handle is in the show notes. And I, um, I'm really curious as to what's on your guys' mind that I can talk about. And any questions I could answer, maybe they could even spin off some uh, ideas for podcasts. But I mean, I've got, you know, a, a treasure trove of uh, 50 ideas for podcasts. I just want to see what we all, what is the most interesting. I'm generally, you know, I'm not going to talk about the ABCs. Maybe I'll answer your question uh, directly. But if I think this is something that everyone wants to know, and if I'm interested in talking about it, we can make this a podcast, a podcast episode. So if you uh, like what you hear, I uh, would love a, uh, a review. And, uh, you know, you got to put those five stars. You got to count all the way up to five and, you know, subscribe so you can uh, hear the next one. And, uh, and then we'll meet again soon. All right. One, awesome. Two, Take care. Three. This episode has been produced by LaunchPod Media.